Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, and I am the dream business coach. I have a fantastic interview for you today from somebody I'm talking to who's pretty darn far away, but through modern technology, he sounds like he's my neighbor, David Hoffman. And um, let me introduce you to him. David is a serial entrepreneur building multi-million dollar companies. He has led the International Trade Powerhouse Global Regency uh, shipping products to the U.S. and um, all over literally 40 countries. He's been the CEO for 15 years and is considered an export an expert in China outsourcing and sourcing um, everything you want to have made. So it's really a, quite a topic of... Um, a topical conversation, I would say. In 2016, David launched Global TQM under the Global Regency umbrella after he saw an incredible opportunity by helping friends and family to assist SMEs, startups, and entrepreneurs with quality management issues and sourcing from China with a range of educational and mentoring programs and actually uh, provide done-for-you services with his resources of 57-plus people in China. So I know with the entrepreneurs, it's, it's, you can definitely lower your cost by, by uh, uh, having stuff made in China, et cetera. But I know a lot of people who are actually very fearful of that. So I'm really excited to talk to David. David, how are you doing today? Hey, Jim. Good. How are you doing? Good, man. What a, we got a clear signal right through. I don't know if we're in space or going under the ocean floor, but somehow it, we managed to sound pretty good. Yeah, as you said, it's amazing, right? With technology, there's almost, it's a borderless world now. So I'd love to get just a little bit of background. Um, where were you born and did you go to college before becoming an entrepreneur? Or what, what led you down this uh, crazy path we're on? Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. So, so I, I was born in South Africa. If you can't tell from the accent, it's a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> um, I, I left Hong Kong at the, I'm sorry, I left South Africa at the age of 25. I was working for a big um, retail group and I left, I came over to Hong Kong really with the ambition of coming here for one year just for the experience and then moving on to Australia, which was my ultimate destination. And um, 16 years later, I'm still in Hong Kong. I just got sucked up by the business life and business environment here and you know, the entrepreneurial flair caught me and um, here I am. And so was it, um, have you always been into the, you know, import export business or that's just something you learned along the way? Yeah. So, so Jim, in South Africa, we were in that business. We were actually importing um, consumer electronics for our own retail stores. And, and that's really what we did. Um, when I came out here, it was under, you know, under that, uh, with that goal to expand that, expand that. Um, you know, once I got here, um, you know, things just started realizing there's so much more opportunity. That kind of led me into really growing and expanding the business from a team of two people to quite a large organization and it also laid the foundation for me to start a lot of other businesses and other companies around it because we kind of always had this core hub um, of, of access in China to sourcing and to manufacturing. 
So, um, I mean, it's such a, I mean, I, for someone like me, for someone like you, this is what you do, but it seems like such a complicated thing, um, like how you find, I mean, I know they make everything in China. Um, yeah, so they, how do you find a, a place that's reputable, that's not going to steal your ideas, and how do you manage quality unless you're going to have somebody living over there? I mean, that's, that's kind of the scary thing for an entrepreneur like myself. Jim, that's, that's, that's a great question. And, and I think that's, that's actually the very reason that brought me here was just, you know, for our own companies, just managing our own quality control and, you know, dealing with our own suppliers and manufacturers. I mean, really getting to know them and understand them and, you know, deal with all the hurdles that come with it. And it's really through that exposure and journey that I started helping a lot of other people do it because you're right. It's, you know, a lot of people want to do it. Everything is made out here, um, but there are a lot of hurdles. There's language barriers, there's um, cultural barriers and differences that matter. And there's just that distance of doing business. I think, you know, doing, doing business with, with anyone is probably very similar in most countries, but, but the distance creates more of a barrier and the communication issues create more of a barrier. So there's, you know, some understanding differences and it just takes time really. Um, and, you know, when it comes, I think you mentioned something um, really important earlier about protecting your ideas and um, that's really challenging out here. Um, there's a lot of counterfeiting, a lot of copywriting. I do a lot of talks actually on registering your trademark in China, which is something I try and recommend everybody does for a host of reasons. Um, but yeah, it's just challenging. It's knowing your manufacturers, it's having the right documentation in place and if you have IP like trademarks and patents making sure they're registered in China and just learning from a lot of mistakes. Is that something you learned? Uh, did you go to college for that? Is that just was that like an apprentice situation because that's a lot of knowledge on a lot of different things so where did that how did how did you get there? Jim re regrettably I wish I'd learned it unfortunately I learned it the hard way through scars and battle wounds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yes, I suppose those are the best lessons learned. Um, yeah, it's, it was just really, I, I have been fortunate. I've had mentors in my life in business, but you know, bosses who became business partners and mentors throughout my career. So, you know, it's just really learning the ropes, you know, as, as, as you go through these things and making mistakes and learning from them and recovering from them. David, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges for somebody uh, outsourcing their goods from China? I think, I think you know, it's, it's knowing who the manufacturer is or isn't and controlling the quality. Um, you know, there's a lot of, when you try to do these things online, um, there, there's a lot of trading going on. There's a lot of middlemen and brokers in between agents or, you know, just companies representing themselves as manufacturers. And it can really, you know, make, make it complicated. And because you can't actually be there on the ground, it's very hard to, you know, manage the quality and, and get, you know, and have all your expectations met. So I, I think that, you know, those, those kind of things are the most challenging. It's finding the right manufacturer that can produce the right quality consistently. And that's, that's just a lot of time and effort and homework. Are you, um, do you act like the middleman, David? In other words, does someone come to you and say, I need to have this made and then you use your uh, connections and sources or is that how it works? So it's a, it's a really good question. Um, not, not exactly. So, so that kind of middleman 
concept I think is, is quite outdated now. Um, it, it has traditionally been a business model for many out here in the East. Um, you know, what we've done with Global TQM, and it's kind of one of my real reasons for starting it, is that, you know, in order to be successful in, in an e-commerce business or in any kind of product business, you know, I'm really a firm believer that the buyer, which is you, has to have the relationship with the manufacturer. Because I think that direct relationship, that direct contact really ensures that you don't have a lot of problems and that you're building a positive relationship because it's really important to have a, a strong relationship with your supply chain. So, so what, what, what I've done is I've really restructured the way we do things and that is we provide services on the ground. So we facilitate it. We introduce you to manufacturers. We make sure you know how to do your documentation and paperwork correctly. We make sure you know how to do your quality checks. We help you visit the factory if required but it's like really important for us conceptually and, and just as a personal belief that, you know, the buyer always owns their relationship with their supply chain. I think that's really, really important. They just need some guidance along the way. David, talk a little bit about intellectual property protection. Again, that, that's one of the things, I mean, it's in the news a lot, but it's also one of the things you think if you're dealing with a supplier in another country Another yes. time zone, uh, language barrier, all the different things that go into it. How do you, how do you protect yourself from that? And then also, how do you establish enough trust to be able to ha have somebody make your stuff? Yes, it's a great, it's a really, it's it's a common question and and a, and a multifaceted answer. I think um, trust trust is like anything in my view. It doesn't matter how culturally different you are, how far apart or close you are. I think trust is something that's built over time, right? Relationships prove themselves and people and, and companies prove themselves over time. And I don't think that's any different here in China. You know, I wouldn't go to a factory that I've just met and offer them all my ideas around IP and stuff and ask them to quote me on the product. You know, you build a relationship slowly you know, and, and over time you'd see their size, their scale, what else they're doing and you'd understand the management team, their management philosophies and, and you'd build it, you'd form an opinion on their trustworthiness and that's just kind of relationship building. But in terms of, you know, actually protecting your RP, um, you know, there's a couple of things I always, you know, recommend and the one is if you've got um, patents or trademarks, I always say register them in China no matter what else, no matter where else you register them. You know, a lot of people, and I'll give you a really good example with trademarks, for example. Um, you know, I've had a lot of friends actually that I've helped and, and just even customers that I've helped that um, have had their trademarks registered in other countries and you know, they think they're protected. But we know once the manufacturers seen them being really successful, they've gone and registered the trademark in China as a manufacturer and started selling it locally in China under the same brand name, which has kind of become a problem because, you know, if it's selling online on the e-commerce stores, people just search and find it. So I've, I've always said to people, register your trademark in China. It's, it's really, it's really low cost. And I mean, it's something that just 100% protects you in China at least in terms of people copying your trademark, which is kind of your reputation and all the kind of things that go around it. Um, you know, and then I say separately, if you do have any um, patents, 
you know, I, I kind of say just you kind of look at it cautiously. If it's very technical type of patents, like invention patents and things like that, you know, you probably do want to register in China. If it's just design patents, you know, I normally say to people, the best weapon against that is just being first to market and having your and owning your your sales channels and your customers. And I think that's kind of where your brand and trademark protects you and being first to market. You know, people rip off all the brands all the time, but, you know, people still know the brands because of their customer service, their quality of their product and all those other things that go with it. So I, I kind of always say first and foremost, register your trademark so that your name is distinguishable from anybody else's copying a product and then, you know, own your sales channel, you know, and then the patents, you know, are, are, in my view, are always third in line on those things. But it's a sum of all those things that come together. It's, it's not an easy one to, it's not a foolproof system. Right. So um, I'm going to expose my complete naivete on this subject here with my sure, next question. Sure. Um, so I'm sure that registering a trademark in China is completely different and separate from a trademark in the U.S., right? They don't, they don't, one, a trademark in the U.S. doesn't have any validity in other countries and same thing with the China trademark. Is that true? Yeah, so so it's a little bit it's a little bit deeper than that. There is what you call an international trademark that you can register, and a lot of the countries comply to it. So, in theory, how it works is if you register your trademark in the U.S., you theoretically have one year to register in other countries like China. But that's in theory. In practice, what actually happens is China works on a first to register concept. So the first person to register a trademark in China is, is, is legally the owner. And, and that's happened to many famous brands, by the way. A lot of famous brands, you know, have had to buy their trademarks back. It is getting better and better. But the reality is the classes are different. So the trademark classes in China are different to the trademark classes overseas. The, 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 the process to, to, you know, win a trademark in a dispute because of an international registration is an expensive, long-time-consuming long process. Whereas it's a couple of hundred dollars to register in China. You get your Chinese trademark certificate and you literally can control everything. And people think you can't. But the truth is the legal system actually is quite solid in China in that regard. You know, if, if you've got a Chinese trademark certificate and you go to any online platform and tell them to remove a product that's infringing on it, it's almost a certainty it will be done. It, come, it gets hard if you try to send an international trademark certificate with a whole long story about why it should be removed. You know, the, the Chinese don't follow that. You know, they follow their own local laws. So it just makes it so much easier. So in doing my research for the interview, I know you've, you've written on um, 10 rules to do business in China. I don't, we don't have room or time for all 10, but can you share a couple of the mo more important rules for, for somebody who wants to do business in China? Well, I think, I think one of the most important rules is just understanding that we're culturally different and no doesn't always, yes doesn't always mean yes and no doesn't always mean no. Um, I think you've got to really, you know, make sure that, um, that, that, that what you're asking for is 100%, that they understand it clearly because culturally um, the Chinese don't want to say no to you. And if you push them hard enough, um, say, I need this, I want this, can you do this, can you do that? They'll say yes. And what will happen is 
they'll try their best to do it and they may fail, they may not have the capability or they may take some shortcuts in getting there. But, you know, you'll feel let down afterwards and then what you actually kind of really happened was they just they didn't want to say no to you. They thought they'd rather try their best. So I think just understanding that cultural difference is really, really important um, and, you know, really doing your background checks and knowing if you're dealing with um, a Chinese manufacturer or a Chinese trading company. Not that I think either, you know, both have got their pros and cons. Don't like misunderstand me. Um, but it's important to know if you're dealing, which one you're dealing with because their level of control over production differs, right? And, and they, you know, in, in essence, dealing with a, with a third party. But, you know, depending on the amount of volume you buy, your experience in a product category, you know, a, a, an agent could be a great idea because they might have more buying power. They might have more experience in that product category. So you really have to get to the nuts and bolts of who you're dealing with. So what's interesting to me is also how there's probably different standards, um, you know, the way things are made. Um, yeah. I guess in the States, we have something called the, you know, U.S. protection, consumer protections, things like that. But you, yes. have to, you have to take all those standards and bring them to your supplier in China to make sure those things are being met. Jim, Jim you, you say you're not experienced at this, but you're asking all the right <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, 100%. We call it compliance. Um, and every country has got its own regulatory compliance and standards. And, um, and that's one of the big challenges is, is a manufacturer, for example, who's manufacturing for the USA might understand US standards and might have that experience, but they may have no idea on Australian standards, for example. So people kind of get confused and feel, oh, but you're producing so much of this for one market, you know, you should automatically be able to do it for, for my market. And, and it just doesn't work like that. You know, factories just like people have got core competencies and certain experiences based on their customer base. And you can't assume that they know that. And I really always say to people, um, it's your responsibility to know your local standards and research them and find out what they are, you know, or get people that can help you do that to make sure that when you're purchasing the product, the factory agrees to produce to those standards and how you actually test and verify to those standards is a whole nother conversation, Jim. But um, it's really, really important to be upfront with the manufacturer on those things. I've just seen it so many times where people say um, out of inexperience, oh, but you're the manufacturer, you, you should have known this or you should have known that you're shipping to America, you're shipping to Canada, you should, you should know the standard, but they don't. Know that, that, that they'll produce to whatever they'll produce whatever you ask them. So if you don't ask for a standard, they won't produce to a standard. If you ask for a standard, they'll either say they can or they can't. It's really about being specific. So it's I mean it sounds like, and I've heard this on occasion, they'll make exactly what you tell them to make, right? And then if it doesn't work or if it doesn't fit uh, some standards or protections, whatever they'll make exactly what you told them to make. So I think there's a little bit of, um, exactly. I don't want to say gamble, but that's certainly one of the intricacies of, of working with somebody in another country. Correct. And, and as you said, it's, it's the intricacy, right? It's, it's, you have to have a certain amount of knowledge and experience, um, you know, to work with men, to work at a manufacturing level, right? 
because if you look at any big brand or company that, that do products and develop their products in China, they've got very competent people helping them, you know, make sure the standards are correct, making sure the testing is done correctly. And everybody, you know, the first thing people do when I see the negotiating with suppliers is, is, oh, I don't want to pay $10, I want to pay $9, I want to pay $8. And all they do is push the price down. And there's no conversation over quality or standards and materials and workmanship. And, you know, so the manufacturer will say, okay, we'll do it at $8 for you. And, you know, they feel happy they're meeting your requirement, but you've said nothing about all the other requirements. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's, that's where the cultural difference comes in, is that what we assume should be done, you can't assume anymore. It has to be very specific. Right. Um, do you have any success stories from some of your clients? I'd be interested, I mean, maybe like a, a small, medium, and large, you know, do, do you have entrepreneurial companies that, you know, maybe five or $10 million that do, do this? And, and do you have some um, other success stories as well? Um, Jim, I've, I've got many success stories and I've got many unsuccessful stories <laughs> too. Well, what are um, those lessons learned? So maybe you can share one of each. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I've, I've actually got a very good friend of mine. His name is Kevin, who he, he had a very successful product online that he's selling. And um, his manufacturer actually genuinely registered his trademark in China and, and was selling it online on Alibaba. And... Um, I mean, he was just shocked because he was ordering so much and they saw he was doing so well. So what they started doing was they went and registered in China for two reasons. One, to make him try and buy from them because in theory they could stop you produce, other manufacturers producing under that trademark, although that's become harder to do now. Uh, but at the time it certainly was the case. And then, you know, they started selling it in the local domestic market. So, I mean, that, that, by the way, we actually overturned and we won the contest in the, um, the trademark bureau. They've got, um, you know, investigators that handle these things. And that, but that, to give you perspective, took one and a half years and we actually won the, the, the dispute. So that was really, really good. Um, I've got loads of clients. You know, we, 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 we've got really small clients who are first-time Amazon sellers. And, um, you know, we've helped them. I must have helped bring dozens and dozens of products to market where they just come and say, hey, I've got this product idea. And I found a couple of manufacturers online, don't really know where to go and what to do. And, you know, in a couple, three, four months, they've been selling everything from handbags to toiletries to um, dolls to plant stands, you name it. Um, and then, you know, on, on, on the larger side, you know, we've got clients, you know, brands like, you know, we do JVC, we do a lot for Walmart and big organizations like that, where they're just shipping millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars every wow. year and under their own private label brands. And, you know, th those are, you know, kind of where we manage the whole supply chain for them, you know, and make sure from end to end that components comply, production complies. So wow. it's, it's, it's quite broad. I mean, every day is like a roller coaster here. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you never stop learning lessons. This fascinating conversation. Um, I have time for one more question, David. Um, uh, I'm curious. So, if somebody, like you mentioned, like an Amazon uh, reseller, wants to have something made, so yeah, not a huge conglomerate, and they yeah. and they maybe with your help source a um, a vendor, a manufacturer in China. Do they have to pay for that all up front, like even before it ships? Does China give terms, or is that all? Is that just no easy answer? 
No, so, so I'll tell you exactly. Just by the way, our whole division, Global TQM, which I started about two years ago, I specifically started to help these small startups and entrepreneurs because I just had friends and family coming to me all the time with issues and problems. And, you know, my staff would just make a call, speak to them in Chinese and resolve. And this was like weeks of headaches they had. So, um, you know, it, it's very easy to do, you know, from that. What, what we do, for example, is, you know, they could come to, come to us, they can, you know, ask us to help them find a supplier, help them find a product or develop a product. There are fees involved, but the reality is, you know, it is a cost of time to get things done. Um, but, you know, we handhold them through a lot of it. They own their relationship with the suppliers at the end of the day. You know, they kind of, I kind of call it learn by doing, you know, so, and then, you know, the next, I say if we've done our job well, People can do it on their own, you know, in the future. Or they can do a lot of the heavy lifting on their own and then just use people like us for transactional services, you know, doing a site visit or an inspection. And they can do a lot of the negotiations on their own. Um, but typically to buy something from China from a manufacturer, once you confirm the product and the samples and you've gone through that process, you then pay them a small deposit, maybe 20 or 10% if you can get away with it. And then... After the goods are produced, we, we do an inspection on the goods, for example. And once the goods are inspected, you pay the balance and then the goods ship out. So there's a little bit of a process. Gotcha. Well, this has yeah. been a fascinating conversation. I mean, this is something I don't, I don't delve into too much, but I'm always curious about it. Thank you so much for coming on my program, David. Yeah, you're welcome, Jim. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, I, we may have some listeners who are curious about getting some stuff uh, manufacturing in China, could you tell them how to reach out to you and connect with you? Jim, sure. It's super easy. If they just go to globaltqm.com and that's our website and then there's a button that just click schedule a call or there's a form that can just tell us their story, and what they need and, you know, we get back to them straight away and I handle all the calls myself. So um, I always like to do the first round of calls and, and make sure people are really on the right track and path. That's awesome. David, thanks again. I really appreciate your time today. Brilliant, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview on a topic we don't often get into, but I'm, I'm, I love uh, sharing some great information with uh, marketers and uh, small business owners. Our guest has been David Hoffman of Global TQM. By the way, uh, if you're only connected with me through the podcast, make sure you connect with me at getjimpalmer.com. That's one way. And um, the other way is through my social media. Probably the biggest place to connect with me is our free Facebook group called Build Your Dream Business Now. The quick link to get there is dreambizgroup, dreambizgroup.com. I think that's enough chit-chat and promotion. And so until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. <laughs> See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.